Please remain standing as we continue worship with a reading from John 3:16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he, the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, if you're a guest, welcome. I'm Chris. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at Riverstone. We're in a season of uh, freestanding sermons. Um, this is a chance for us to get to address things that are really important that we might not want to spend six to eight weeks on, but nonetheless important things for us to remember as Christians. Um, so it's nice because we're kind of freestanding. You don't have to be here the week before or after to understand what's going on. Um, and today I want to talk about uh, one of the most powerful Christian practices uh, that I have ever experienced. Um, <clears throat> this practice uh, that I'm going to beg you to start doing in your life has, in my life, been one, uh, the moment uh, of where uh, darkness and chains of self-destructive patterns began to lose their power over my heart and life, literally in a moment. Um, it may be the most liberating grace-inviting practice we have as Christians, and it's the discipline of confession. And if you're like, really, Chris? Can we, can we just like do a series on popular movies or something, you know? Um, yeah, the discipline of confession. Um, I'd argue that unless you will practice the discipline of confession in an ongoing basis in your life, uh, you will not experience the grace of God, nor the community of God in the powerful way uh, that God intends to engage you. That being said, uh, many Christians who've tried to com practice confession or who have been those on others have tried to practice confession can have mixed feelings about it. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever tried to confess their sins to you, but it's awkward. Uh, and a lot of times you don't have any clue what to do. You're like, uh, okay, uh, or you're like, get it together, dude, you know? <laughs> or, or if you have been the one languishing under the guilt of sin and shame and tried to confess to someone and it just didn't go like you thought it would, like they're just like, it's no big deal, whatever, right? Or they start their own litany of confessions, you know? <laughs> and it's just like, this is not, I still feel bad, you know? Um, or worse, you confess your deepest, darkest character flaws to someone, and they bring it back up later in a disagree. Anyone? And you're like, I'm never doing that again, right? The act of confession 
or of hearing a brother and sister confess their shortcomings can feel really bulky and awkward uh, to many Christians. And I just want to sit with some scriptures and express how I think biblically this practice um, can and should be a life-giving thing for you on a regular basis. So let's just read a very uh, popular scripture about this you've probably heard of, then we'll pray and we'll get in it, get after it. Uh, James 5 verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Let's pray. Father, I ask, Holy Spirit, right now, um, God, that you would come clear the air, Lord. I invite right now the peace of the Holy Spirit to rest on our hearts in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray today that maybe for the first time some of us would feel an invitation to be fully known and fully loved. God, for those of us who are hiding and we know we're hiding, God, call us out into your wonderful light, Lord. God, I pray that the attractiveness of the light would be made known to us today. Come, Holy Spirit, give us courage. You know, let me pray these things, amen. Uh, Christianity is an invitation to openness. Out of hiding, out of darkness, and into the light of honest and trusted relationships. If you think confession is a one-time thing that you did when you became a Christian and never have to do it again, I'd argue that you, you are conveniently ignoring some simple truths. Number one, this. Simply because you call yourself a Christian does not mean you never sin anymore. Or are ever tempted. All right? It is finished, yes and amen, but I work out that finished work in fear and trembling in my actual life. And guess what that looks like? That looks like me, Pastor Chris, messing up over and over and over again and coming to people that love me and confessing it and pressing into his grace and preaching the gospel to my own heart and getting back up and taking the next step. Perfection, no. Progress, yes. There are times that the act of confession, y'all, has literally lifted weight off my shoulder. You would have thought it was a physical weight, right? That nothing else could budge. Like where I was bent over under the weight of my own sin. And when I pulled it into the light, man, I knew in that moment I was free. Hmm? Like I'm able to run harder. I wasn't hiding anymore. I was free. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> confession is defined as admission of guilt. Right? It's acknowledging that you are messed up, <laughs> that you've done things that are wrong and that are shameful. It's not a party. Yet, the lightness of heart and the peace that often follows, right, is to be envied. Huh? Because guess why? You're no longer hiding. Some of us have no clue what that feels like. Y'all, this is a huge Exhale, it's a massive release of pressure that's built up in secrecy and darkness. If you think confession is a one-time thing you do when you become a Christian and you never have to do it again, you're conveniently ignoring John the Baptist's challenge against the religious of his day, which is produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's Matthew 3, 8. Repentance and confession, y'all, is not once and done. How do we walk in grace if we don't think we need it? 
See, the only way you will produce fruit in grace is in keeping a repentant, humble heart. And I'll tell you what, nothing humbles you like confessing things to a brother, right? But how convenient is it if repentance and confession is a one-time thing you, you just did once and you never have to do again? How convenient is that? You never have to be known. You never have to be honest. And Christianity can effectively become a free pass to never have to address your deep inner darkness and character flaws. How bizarre. Christianity itself becomes a past in which you never have to address the darkness in your own heart and soul because you did that a long time ago and never have to do it again. It's very convenient for your ego. But secondly, in the Protestant church, I think we can devolve into thinking that confession is an antiquated practice that maybe other branches of Christianity do in some sort of weird way that we don't get. But, you know... We have, and I think Protestants have, can have, an overly personal perspective that minimizes the need for others in the journey of our faith. We can believe the lie, um, I can do this alone. I don't need others for encouragement, for confession, for accountability. I don't need to submit. I don't need to listen. And then we theologically support our fear of being truly known by others and say, we have one mediator, his name's Jesus, and we have the access to the throne room directly. That's true, y'all. We don't need to go through priests or mediators to access the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our mediator into the new covenant, right? And yet confession and accountability is a New Testament reality. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Not only the confession of sin, y'all, uh, but the confession of the power and authority of Jesus over sin. See, we don't just confess our sin. We confess with our mouth that he has authority over sin. Confessing with our mouth, giving verbal expression, acknowledging and submitting to the claims about Jesus is a necessary component of our faith. Not, see, it, not, not only does it have the power to remove guilt, it has the power to affirm faith. When we confess with our mouths that Jesus is who he says he is. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's something about physically t speaking the things. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's something about speaking things out, guys, not just in a closet, not just to God in your heart, but physically speaking to others, expressing hidden things, bringing them out into the open that God intends to use to bring life to your soul. This is big. The act of confession has power both for affirming faith and relieving guilt. So why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? Well, I mean, there's something about being known that is profoundly comforting. But it is also, in some cases, completely terrifying, right? On the one hand, no more hiding, no more lying, right? No more fear of being found out, how, the way many Christians live their life. On the other hand, you're vulnerable and you know it. You're exposed. They could take that information and ruin you, right? And that just feels too risky for some of us. On the one hand, we long to be known, to share openly, to feel fully apart and accepted. On the other, it sets us up for rejection and we're terrified. In this room... There are a vast variety of attitudes when it comes to confession, right? For some Christians, no matter how hard I plead with you, the cost 
of being seen as imperfect is too high a price for you. And you will not practice this no matter how hard I plead. In fact, I'm sure, uh, 100% sure that some of you in here in this room are firmly convinced that this is something you do not need to be happy in life. But instead of trying to convince my, um, trying to spend my time convincing you on the fringes, I just wanna give some practical advice about how to go about this, how to go about this, if one day you should happen to find yourself in the scenario, I'm not saying you will, but maybe one day you might happen to find yourself in a scenario where you have something on your chest that you need to get off to someone. Okay, how do we enter into the kind of honest, open, accountable lifestyle that Christianity calls us to and keep it healthy, how God intends it to function? How do we do it? Well, if you're gonna jump on this journey, uh, there are two parties involved in confession, isn't there? There's you, and then there is the one hearing the confession, and there are mistakes we make on both sides. So we're just gonna sit very, very practically with this today, okay? On, on the confessor side, okay? Now, again, I'm not saying you have things to confess. I mean, you're in church, for goodness sake, right? But if you do, let me just give you some, some guide, you know, just some framework here to maybe work with so this becomes a healthy, life-giving thing in your life. One mistake you can make is you choose the wrong person. You probably shouldn't rend your soul to the high schooler manning the cash register at the public's checkout line. Or the next person you happen to find yourself on an elevator ride with. Uh, you need to discern and allow time and experience with people to guide you when you're looking for someone to pour your guts out to and ask yourself, is this a safe person? who genuinely cares for people? Do they seem trustworthy and mature? Do they talk about other people in a negative light? Do they cast shadows on people's characters? Do they gossip? Because some of us immediately see others' flaws and we begin to compare ourselves to those flaws to make ourselves feel better. Hmm? If you find yourself just routinely revealing personal information about other people without their permission, you are not a safe person. If you find yourself keeping track of people's flaws and mistakes so that you have ammo in a future argument, you are not a safe person. You might have some maturing to do before others would consider you for this role. And today, I think God may be inviting you to become the kind of person that others trust and feel safe around. And what I found in this process as well, and most professional counselors will agree, is it needs to be someone of the same sex. And your spouse, y'all, is probably not the best person for all the issues you may need to work through. I'm not saying you need to hide your, most of your struggles from your spouse. I'm not arguing for any kind of secrecy from your spouse. If they ask you direct questions, you answer it. And chances are, if you're struggling in any area, they already know something's up, despite the fact you're trying to hide it, right? I was just talking to a friend the other day whose husband had a porn addiction, and it's like she knew. Of course she knew something was off. She didn't know what it was, but man, his lack of joy, his despondency, his depression, his hopelessness, taking over his demeanor, she knew something was going on. But if you're married... Your spouse may not be the most equipped person to help you through a struggle that could be a very foreign and unfamiliar territory for them. Secondly, spouses also have a tendency to see your struggles as a reflection on them, especially when it comes to areas of sexual temptation. 
If you're a guy, you need to find a brother in arms. Some of you don't have that right now, and my heart breaks for you. If you're a girl, you need to find a girl, a trusted sister that you love and trust and you feel safe around, who you know is not going to take the information you give them and stab you in the back later, right? When you're looking for someone to confess to, to, confess to they need to be a trusted and loving person of the same sex who, by their love for others, seem to understand the gospel. Oh, oh, what did I just say? Who, by their love for others, seem to understand the gospel. What's that mean? It means they understand grace, and that will be clear in how they treat other people. Not with the theological statements that they affirm verbally. Look at how they treat people. All right? Another thing that will render confession, uh, as I said last week, impotent over and over, um, and not achieving its purpose, and this is how I like to roll, if we're going to have our cards on the table, um, is half confessions. I'm a pastor after all, right? We share the general idea up until the part we're really embarrassed about and we leave that out. It's going to keep it vague, right? I'm a pastor, I got to save face, got to leave, got to maintain some level of pride, you know, and end up confessing about 60% of my sin, right? And then I would think, well, I get about 60% of healing from that sin. Isn't that fair? Half confessions results in half healings, y'all. Remember, becoming a Christian is an invitation to openness, and confession is the act of no longer running from the parts of you that you're not proud of, and instead bringing those parts fully to Jesus, sometimes kicking and screaming, right? Therefore, general, ambient, distant confessions may get general, ambient, distant healing. But I need God's love not in a general, ambient, distant way, <laughs> but in the real details of my actual life. I don't need forgiveness for just being proud. I need forgiveness for how my pride has specifically in hurt this person in this scenario. And I need to go to them and ask forgiveness as well. We don't sin in general. Therefore, we don't, sin, we don't repent in general. We confess in specifics, right? Because we sin in specifics. It's not just lust in general. It's here at this point when I committed this sin in this time and place where I need the grace of God to bear its weight on me. Not in a general sense, right? If we're, listen, right now. If you are afraid to name the darkness, you should not be surprised when the darkness persists. If you are afraid to name the darkness... What did I just say? Was it good? I was just kidding. It's written down. If you, I just ruined it now. Thanks, Josh. If you're afraid to name the darkness, we shouldn't be surprised if the darkness persists because we've only brought it 60% into the light. Still 40% kicking, right? Partial confessions render partial freedom. Another thing we do, or at least I do, under the guilt of my own sin, is I immediately begin pointing out all the reasons it's sort of okay. I said, well, she said this, and they did this, and it made me so mad, and they deserve it, or I was just really having a bad day, and you know how I get when I way, and I just needed a little something and a little self-medic. We don't own it. We shift and evade under the discomfort of the moral weight of God. Hmm? 
And we avoid taking 100% responsibility. We say, I'm 60% responsible. And she's really, well, she's like 70%, but okay, I'll take 60, right? Can I just say to you, I love you guys. No one loves me too. Great, awesome. Thought, that's, a, that's a clear thing, guys. Someone says, I love you. You say, I love you back. It's too late. It's too late. Pastor, Pastor Appreciation Month is over. All right, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. I will take this more seriously maybe at some point in my life. All right. Can I just say to you, uh, no one made you sin. Okay, don't give me this, the devil made me do it. Okay. Don't, don't, you, you may not say, she forced me to act. You may not say, I had no other choice. Listen, number one, God will never put you in a room where all the doors lead to sin. Amen. Number two, while they may have provoked and been a part of the situation, they were the occasion that revealed imperfection in you, not the cause. They did not make you into a raging, unhinged anger, anger addict. They did not make you into a, a raging control freak. They were the occasion that revealed the imperfections, not the cause. And if we are never willing to own the attitudes and behaviors that we exhibit 100%, we should not expect 100% healing. If you want full and total healing, then take full and total responsibility for your sins. Aren't you glad you came to church today? This is so peppy. It's gonna feel great when we leave. Repentance and confession is like, y'all, Laying down so the doctor can work. If we don't fully surrender and lay down and give him access to the specific areas in our lives, we should not expect him to heal specifically. For the Christian, confession is not simply revealing our flaws to our brothers and sisters. We're opening our hearts to God, not to deal with sin in general, but to deal with my sin, my darkness. The hardest three words in the English language, I have sinned. Before we move on, I just want to ask you, when's the last time you owned your shortcomings in any real way? And should we not be surprised that they persist when we are unwilling to own our responsibility for them? Our sins are specific, and so too should our repentance and confessions be. Okay, so what about when someone confesses to you, what are you supposed to do? It's a little awkward, right? Let me say the number one pitfall when a brother comes to you, sister comes to you and says, I've, I've, I've failed here. I feel the weight of my sin on me. I'm squirming under the moral weight of God. I'm full of guilt. And it's about this. What are you supposed to do in that moment? The number one pitfall is to try to remove the guilt yourself. And this is how we do this. We say, oh, it, it's not that bad. I've done worse. Or in a pathetically defeating type way, say, oh, me too. <laughs> you know what doesn't help me when I feel stuck in a pit? Is when the person that I think is going to pull me out jumps in the pit with me. You know? Like, Talk about utter hopelessness. Are we chatting? Don't jump in with me, man. Like, come on. Like, I, you know, I need, I'm drowning. And I'm looking for someone with firm footing. And you were on the bank. 
And when I reached out, you jumped in with me. Like, wait your turn, man. You know? Like, are we? Come on. Okay. What I'm saying, yeah, throw me a robe, dude. Like, keep your footing. Come on. Anyway, what I'm saying, this is what I'm saying. Don't immediately make it about you. I know it's awkward. I know it's uncomfortable, right? It, it can have, when we say things like, oh, don't worry about it, it's not that bad, and I've done that, and blah, blah, it can have the effect of basically lowering the standard of God's holiness that God is pushing on them. Dude, let them acknowledge the issue without clouding it with yours. This is, this is, not, this is maturity stuff, y'all. Sometimes we can shrug our shoulders and say, it's not a big deal. We want them to feel better. We feel bad for them. Everyone does it. And listen, misery loves company. But that's not how we help our brother and sister feel God's grace in their moment of weakness. In that moment, your goal is not to relieve the guilt yourself. Resist the urge to say it's not that bad. And listen, when you do that, you lessen the significance of sin that they are languishing under, the weight of. What they need in that moment is not company in the pit. They need someone to remind them of the scandalous, staggering nature of the grace of God. That's what they need. They need to be reminded of Psalm 136. Dude, his steadfast love endures forever. And his steadfast love is greater even than your sin. And you who, who hear someone confessing sin, when you're hearing, look, you need to confess sin as well. I get it, but wait your turn. Resist the urge to make the moment about you and serve your brother and sister by hearing a confession and stepping into the sacred space that God has ordained the family of God to live in and speak the mercy of God over them by the cross. Now, you, you might want to sit with that, the sacred space that God has invited his family to live in. We've we got we to kind of tease that out a little bit. In this moment, when a brother or sister comes to you with their character flaws, don't try to relieve the guilt themselves. Remind them of the authority of Jesus over sin, the authority of Jesus to forgive, the authority of Scripture, and say, hey, hey man, hey, sis, listen, Scripture says... I mean, if we confess, he's faithful to forgive. And man, let's just believe that right now together. But more than a reminder, God has ordained and empowered us to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation in 1 Peter 2, 9. You know what that means? Well, in, in, 1, in, I'm sorry, in Romans 12, in 1 Corinthians 12, when it refers to the church as the body of Christ, Okay, that isn't just pretty language of anatomy helping us understand how we fit together in different places. I mean, it is that, but the implications are way more profound, way more mysterious. As followers of Jesus, as brothers and sisters who make up the body of Christ, we are to be the physical extension of God's grace to creation. That's what that means. Theologians call it the universal priesthood of believers, right? And it means that every one of us gets to, on the authority of Scripture, extend God's forgiveness in real, tangible ways to those around us. If you're not on that wave, you got to get on it, man. It's the holy privilege of the family of God. And we say it almost every week. It's the mandate of the church. I say that every week. It's the mandate of the church. Christians are called to facilitate the process of reconciliation. What do you think the goal of being a Christian is? What are we supposed to do here on the earth? You're supposed to be extensions of the reconciliation of Christ to all the world. That's the mission, guys. That's the goal, the renewal of all things. 
We are to be instruments in the, in the extension of God's life and grace to those around us. I do this every week at communion, y'all. I say, receive his peace. Be forgiven in the name of Jesus. Y'all, that's not because I've leveled up on Jesus' points from being a pastor, okay? Listen, stay with me. I am not up here speaking God's mercy over you because of my righteousness. Do you know me? Have, have we met, okay? No, I'm leaning on the righteousness of God like I lean on this pulpit, right? I'm leaning in faith on the authority of scripture and the imputed righteousness of Jesus, right? I'm reminding you his grace can hold your weight like the seat you sit in. When I participate in this practice with my friends, I listen closely. What is the thing that they are languishing under? And I acknowledge it. I say, brother, God hears your confession. Man, his grace is strong enough even for this. And I want to say to you right now, God forgives you in the name of Jesus. Huh? And then we pray together. We ask the Spirit to come help us in our weakness, in our anger, in our unforgiveness, in our lust, whatever it is. Our temptation as the hearer of confessions is to make someone's confession about us and say, well, I struggled about this, and yeah, me too. Look, they, that may be a helpful conversation, but we have to understand none of that can relieve guilt or shame mm-hmm. or produce the kind of healing that only Jesus can give. By his stripes, we are healed. We carry our friend to Jesus. We bring him to the one who only has authority to forgive sins. And this is huge, man. You can't miss this, right? Extending God's grace to others has little to do with your strength or personal victory over any said area of temptation or sin. Let me say that again. Extending God's grace to others has very little to do with your strength, right, or your personal victory over any said area of sin. It's not about fixing them because you're better, right? Or counseling. There's a good and wonderful place for that. Here, it's about listening and taking them to the only person who can relieve guilt and shame. And it's the one who took it on himself. You can't, take, you can't bear that weight for them. Only Jesus can, right? We can't do that. This is not about a magic formula or assuming some role of spiritual authority over another, right? We can't forgive sins primarily because we're not the one who's been offended, only God's been, God's been offended, and he alone can forgive. And, dude, check it out. Throw a party. Because the Bible reveals that God shows his glory by forgiving freely and fully over and over again. Like, what do, what do you think Paul means when he says, no height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation, nor present, nor powers, nor angels, nor authorities, nor anything, right, can, can uh, separate us from the love of God in Christ, Right? He's saying that your sin's got nothing on the grace of God. And where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. The prodigal son, y'all, shows us that the father has a heart eager to forgive and restore and rejoices when our heart turns back to him in even small and elemental ways, right? So let me just end with this. As a young, idealistic, energetic Christian, uh, I was pretty sure that I was invincible, Right? Okay, every 20-something-year-old, maybe. Um, and I had a very uh, individual idea of me and Jesus, and I'm good, and I'll confess to him, and I don't need other people. And I remember thinking Christians that need that kind of community are kind of second-rate, you know. <laughs> we, I don't need to confess my sins. Me and Jesus got this. It's really pretty arrogant, really. Um, but I also remember a time uh, when I hit the bottom of my own depravity after stupid decision after stupid decision. And the reality of my brokenness became unavoidably apparent. 
as a Christian. <laughs> like leading worship every Sunday, Christian leader. But my actions and my thoughts and my behaviors were revealing something about my heart that was deeply, deeply broken. And, and it got to the point where, where it could no longer be ignored. Because typically we're not going to fess up and, you know, if we can ignore it. But it kind of broke loose in my life, right? And I remember calling a friend and through tears of frustration and brokenness, all I could say to my friend was, I don't know God. I don't know what happened. I don't know him anymore. And while it wasn't a silver bullet to my sin, it opened a conversation where I could start dealing with the darkness. It marked a moment in my life where things began to change because of no credit to myself. It was out of shame and desperation. I dragged my inner darkness into the light of confession and accountability. And do you know what happens when you do that? Darkness begins to lose its power. Come on, man. <laughs> because sin and shame and guilt and fear cannot endure the light. If it stays in darkness, it stays in power. When you drag your demons into the light, they kick and they scream and they whisper in your ear justifications and say, it won't happen again. You got this under control and no one will know. But if you refuse to listen and drag them into the light, like, right? They shriek and they flee in the light of Jesus, whose life was the light of men. The power they had over you can be broken by the strength of another. I know you've heard this before. If you've been here a long time, Mark Rutland says, true confession is like slamming your hand down the throat of a demon, pulling out his slimy entrails and holding it up to your friend saying, look at the trash that was trying to tempt me. Hmm? It's agreeing with God. It's agreeing with him. Sin is a rancid cesspool of sickness and death to my soul and I reject it. It's confessing this sin right here. It's wrong. I own it fully. And now in the clean, fresh light of God's grace, I can fully now own his power over that sin. But until you own fully your own brokenness, you can't own fully his power over it because you're not acknowledging it. Hmm? God is calling you to have the courage to go about this business of producing fruit and keeping with repentance. But you can't do that until you create an atmosphere where the kind of trusted and mature dialogue can happen that we've been talking about. You cannot thrive in isolation. We like to give credence to the idea that we're a victim of the isolation we feel. For most people, it is a determined isolation. But secondly, the more we parade a guise of sinless perfection to others, the harder it will be for you to accept his grace. And confession, perhaps more so than any other Christian discipline, puts us in a place where we can honestly experience the grace of God in life-giving practical ways, right? And if you are not participating in this at any level, number one, you're, you're robbing yourself of experiencing his grace and mercy in the specifics of your life, right? But number two, you, you might be struggling with a little arrogance and disconnectedness from the reality of what's going on in your heart and life. You might be glazing over areas of brokenness, you might be conveniently ignoring character flaws that and you know are ruining you and your relationships, but let's just brush it under the rug one more week, right? It's possible 
that you're not walking in the power of his light because you're refusing to bring the darkness into the light. And after all this, you think, nah, not for me. Plus, I don't have anything to confess. Well, we both know that's not true, right? right? We both know there's things that you are tolerating that's not God's best for you, but you're not going to go to the freedom of being fully loved and fully known until this is a practice that's going on in your life. So listen, in a room this size, man, I know it's possible they are here today who have never, never owned uh, responsibility for, for, the, for their character flaws. Maybe right now your life's falling apart because you're refusing to acknowledge your contribution to the mess. Can, can I just say to you, man, God is extending an invitation to you right now. And if you've never said yes to his grace over your life, you can do that right now. You can step into his love for you. If you feel like you are on the outside looking in today, right? Something can change right now, especially when it comes to the love of God. I think there are some of us in this room for whom the love of God is a distant and aloof theological idea that has no real meaning or significance in your life. And listen, you're never gonna pull things into the light if you're afraid of a a mean, oppressive God who's gonna hammer you as soon as it does. The thing stopping you is your faith that God is a good God who loves and forgives. For some of us today, the love of God needs to be made real in your hearts. So can I just pray for us right where we're at? Jesus, I ask in the areas that, for whatever reason, we have barriers in between our heart and your love. God, for some of us, it's intellectual barriers. Um, for some of us, it's just experience has, has just shown us that life is merciless and the universe is mean and how could there be a good God? God, for some of us, it's emotional barriers. God, for some of us, there's religious barriers that we think we don't need your love. We think we're fine without it. God, would you break these down in the name of Jesus? God, would you help us now to step into belief that your love is enough to cover even our sins? And God, in the light of that, would you free us up to begin to deal with the darkness, Lord? God, I pray for those in this room right now who are terrified of confronting the darkness. God, would you give them courage? God, would you call them now out of darkness into your marvelous light? God, I pray for those in this room who do not have friends that they love and trust and feel safe around. Would you bring them in their life, God? God, would you begin to develop the kind of community in this church that is fully known and fully loving? God, where we can create atmospheres to, that are safe in which we can be known and not afraid when it comes to these things, Lord. Father, I also pray for those of us in this room who are Christians who are tolerating areas of sin that we know are not your best for us. God, would you give us courage, Lord, to deal with these things? We love you, God. Thank you for a door that leads to life, God. God, thank you that in um, the world we live that can be so disheartening, God, it can be so crippling, God, that you give us a door into life. It's called faith and repentance. Have mercy, God. Thank you, Jesus. It's part of our service every week where we come to the communion table, but before we do, 
we, we just kind of do this every week, man. We, we bring the reality of our hearts before God. So I, I'm going to give you a chance right now to quietly in your heart confess things to the Lord. But here's the deal. I, I want you to find someone, maybe this week, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's the people that are going to be up here praying for us. Maybe you just need to get something off your chest. I, I want to challenge you to not simply deal with things in an inner secret way in which no one knows about it. But I'm inviting you right now to find someone you love and trust and and be real with them about the reality of your heart that may be crippling you and your relationships. Imagine the lightness that could come if you'll begin to address this. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you for extending an invitation to us right now into life and out of death. God, thank you that you've given us practical ways in which we step out of darkness into light. God, help us not over-spiritualize things, God. Help us be real and honest about what's going on in our hearts. And some of you today know that today is an opportunity right now, um, that you're at the threshold of a door. And I just want to encourage you, man, take the step, man. Walk through. Let me just say this. Just because you're a Christian uh, does not mean you don't, have attitudes, actions, and habits that are effectively anchors around your neck, causing you um, to not produce fruit in your life. So let me pray for us. Jesus, would you help us deal with the things that none of us are uh, proud of, God? God, thank you for the opportunity inside of Christian community to be fully known and fully loved. Have mercy on us when we don't take advantage of the resources of grace in in the community of God. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.